from all the Jesus, we praise your name above all other names because you're the one that saved us. You're the one that had died for us. You did the work. You came from heaven down to earth. You, came, you left the throne to be, a, to be a slave. You didn't have to do that. You looked at us and for some reason... You, 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 you said it was worth it. It's crazy how much you love us. And we sing these songs, and we pray that they wouldn't be mere words to us, but they would be the overflow of our love for you. We pray that our obedience would show our love for you. For you said it's the love of God that we, be, we obey your commandments, and your commandments did not burden some. You made them for us. You made all things for your glory. So help us to give you glory. Because you're worthy. Even now, in this stillness, help us to circumcise our hearts. Help us to cleanse ourselves from within. And only you can. You are the doctor. You are the healer. Help us to love the giver more than the gift. God, we, we pray that you would humble us, you'd break us down in order to worship you if that's what it takes. Don't let us be strong men and women, but help us to be confident in Christ. God, we want more of you. And when we lack it, we pray that you would, you would show up, you would affirm us and let us know that you are a God who listens, you're a God who is there, you're a God that is a God of abundance. You provide in so much more we can even think. So we praise you. We love you. Thank you so much for dying for us and loving us and choosing us, even when we didn't choose you. We praise your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, I'm going to get into it. We have our scripture reading tonight. It's going to be 1 Timothy 3, 14 to 16. So starting with verse 14, it reads, I hope to come to you soon. But I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. God, help us as we learn now, and I pray that this would be clear. I already thank you for awakening our hearts to have great interest, and wherever it is we're lacking, fill it up right now, Holy Spirit. Fill it up. Thank you for even Sovereign's observation in saying we must come to you like Keiki. For, 
for such as these is the kingdom. If there's anyone that's going to get a secret or a mystery or hidden treasure tonight, it's going to be the ones that come with childlike heart and faith. Not those of us who come all intellectually puffed up thinking that we know it all already. That person won't get edified tonight. It's the humble heart that's going to be blessed. Give all, us, give all of us, myself included, that type of humility. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys, um, show of hands who surfs. Otherwise, I'm just talking to Trevor. Okay, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Okay, you know, you get, uh, keep your hand up if you've surfed in the last month. Sovereign, all right, good. Um, oh, yeah, the whole Dwart Ohana, not surprising. Um, but you guys know when you, go, you guys go paddle out and stuff, do you know how easy it is to drift? You ever notice that? You, like, start here, especially if there's not a crowd, especially if there's not someone in the lineup that's familiar with the spot, easy for drift, you just kind of find, especially they got white plains, you just find yourself starting at the house with the white picket fence, and then all of a sudden, you're down in Nevabee, like somewhere in Makaha or something, right? Um, drifting, it's very easy. Um, wandering, you guys ever have, be in a conversation and you just kind of wander? <laughs> okay, good, yeah, not just me. Um, you ever sit in a sermon and your mind is just drifting? Maybe now? Anytime something is drifting or wandering or kind of getting off of some sorts, that's just, you ever, just think about that for a little bit. How, how did you get there? How did that happen? I made one observation, at least when I'm surfing, is I tend to drift when I lose my focal point. Or I lose sight of my marker that was keeping me centered. You know, if you're in a conversation, or even a sermon right now, in a message at the Lord's house, what could cause us to drift this evening or wander off into who knows where in your brains is, is, is if you and I, even me as a preacher, I lose my focal point. I lose sight of the main plain thing. I, I, lose, I, I lose focus on the foundation of what it is we're doing and why we're here. You know, if you think about Martha and Mary, what happened to Martha? She got distracted, right, Luke 10. Interesting, this church, the Ephesian church in Ephesus in Romans 2, they were dialed in on all these other things with their doctrine and stuff, but then he holds this against them. You have abandoned, you fell from, you fell away, you drifted, you wandered from the love you had at what? First. You see, the book that we're studying, the letter that we're studying, it's written to a church in a time, in their context, they're drifted. They're wandering. They're all over the map. They're all out of whack in all sorts of ways. We just spent two and a half months in their leadership. And you know why Paul was so thick on that? It was because their leadership was all kapakai. This church had a lot of bad teaching and a lot of bad practice. And I really want to, I just kind of, my argument tonight and what I'm seeing in this text is I see Paul right at the middle of this letter is really the heart of his letter and he's summarizing it for us and saying, this is the reason I'm writing. Because for, for lack of better terms, you're drifting. You're wandering from the, from the basics, the fundamentals of the faith, the, the, the thing that keeps you secure and stable you're drifting, Ephesian church, and that's why I'm trying to come to you, but I'm going to write you this letter so that even if I don't get there, 
I'm going to try and help you bring, bring yourself back focus. What I think the apostle is trying to do for this church, and perhaps for us tonight, if you're in the house tonight, and your life right now is kind of adrift, you're kind of just, you feel a sense of like flustering confusion. You're just a little bit un, uneasy or shaky or inst, unstable. Well, tonight's, my prayer for you this whole week has been that God's word, this text, would stabilize you, would keep you centered. And one of the ways God does that is by keeping the main things the main things. And in this text, I want to say keeping the Great Commission great. One of the reasons why I think this church and maybe many churches today are drifting, are all over the place. Our church could be one of those. Is because we lack discipleship. Easy. Discipleship. That's the meat, potatoes, the bread and butter of Christianity. And I think Paul is just taking some time in the middle of his letter to just bring them back center and say, hey, this is where it's at. This is what makes Christianity, Christianity. Discipleship. Discipleship. Before we get into the text, you ever wonder where we got that term Christian? You ever wonder that? How do we come calling, how do we, for those of us who embrace that title and say you're a Christian, you ever wonder how that came to be? Did the apostles in the book of Acts have a little hooey? And, and they, they call the committee meeting, what are we going to call ourselves? The Jesus freaks. Nah, nah, nah. Bro, come on, be more creative. I don't know. What, what, you, like, what you think, Peter? What you think? Fishers of men. The fishermen, no, you know, the, the, what, they didn't come together and think, oh, Christian, one, two, three, Christian. You know what it says in the book of Acts, Acts 11? It says that at Antioch, where Paul was making disciples, it says the disciples were called Christians at Antioch. Meaning disciples, followers of Christ, were so walking and talking and acting like Jesus that the world coined the term on them. You're like a little Christ. You're a Christian. And ever since then, that's what we're called. And I think it's so easy to drift. And my prayer tonight, with this whole idea of discipleship, I want to draw out a lot, just three observations of Paul, who is so big on discipleship, so passionate about it, that he's not only going to write a letter, but he's going to try and get down there to help sort things out, to make sure this church doesn't drift, this lampstand doesn't fall through, okay? So here we go. We're going to pick it up. I'm just going to draw three observations on Paul, and I pray that by God's grace, something in God's word lands for you tonight. Verse 14, I hope to come to you soon. My sister brought this up in observation a little bit, but that word hope is a big word. El pizzo. It's the present active verb, meaning as he's writing it, it's happening to him. So you got to imagine him writing this out, and he's hoping. He's expecting. That's the word. There's a great anticipation. It's the same word that's used in a religious sense where we eagerly await for the salvation of our Lord. There's a big hope in Paul. Why am I drawing this out, making a big deal about it? Well, one, because it's in the Bible, and two, because I do believe it reveals the heart of Paul. I mean, think about that. Anyone who desires to come through, like he wants to see Timothy. He wants to see the brothers and sisters at Ephesus. Right, sister was marveling at that a little bit. Do, do you desire to see each other? 
Or is the text sufficient? Like the dude wants to come through. I want to come. Erkomai. I want to go from one place to another and make my appearance known. That's the Greek. You know how much effort that would take in this day and age? That must mean that's a reflection of how much heart I think Paul does have to soon, quickly, speedily, meaning I don't like put this off. I really, really, really want to see you. Here's the first point. Paul's preference with in-person discipleship. Paul has a preference. I believe that's very much seen in the book of Acts. In Romans chapter 1, he says, I long to see you, to impart to you a spiritual gift. I want to draw this out because especially in our day and age where everything is becoming more and more distant, more and more convenient to this is what church is now. You can just have an entertaining speaker and a great band right there on your couch. I'm at church. Are you? Paul's preference now, preference, is in person. I want to come and see you, Timothy. That's a pastor's heart. I pray that I never lose that heart. I pray I never lose affection and devotion for all you here like that. Just text me. Just email me. I'll see you Sunday. I pray that never happens to my heart. Is that happening to your heart tonight? You know the proverb writer says, he who isolates himself is out for selfish gain. The one who isolates himself, he then refutes all sound judgment. It's a dangerous thing to not want to hope to see one another. Hebrews even warns us of this. Don't neglect gathering. Now, again, in this context, it's Paul wanting to get to Timothy, but to that church. And I just want to note that, and I, and I want to ask the question, how did Paul get like this? How did he come to be a man who wrote, I hope to come to you soon? Like, I really want, like, what made Paul an affectionate guy? This is the guy that used to murder Christians. Don't forget that. So something happened to tweak with this man. You know what happened? 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. The love of Christ controls us. What moved this apostle? Love. Christ's love. The same love that moved the Father like what was sung tonight. He came. It wasn't enough for God to just give us a text message, a book. You notice that? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became what? Church. Flesh. He came through. Why should we want to hope to come and see each other? Why, would I, why ought I be stirred up to want to actually see your face and ask you how things are going? Because Christ came. This is not just because Paul was this kind of guy. So, anyway, I want to move, keep moving, but I'm so thankful that God didn't just send us a text message, aren't you? Can you imagine if God just sent us a text? No, he's like, I'm going to send you my son. Oh, man, that'll preach, right? That's why it's hard to move on. Now, when we look at the content of the letter, all of this, he's saying, I hope to come to you soon, and I am writing these things to you so that. What are these things? What is the content of his letter? It's the whole letter. 
Well, he summarizes it after how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. He'll later summarize all scriptures breathed out by God and is profitable. Everything he's trying to do is I'm trying to get you God's word. In other words, why I have the point, Paul's preference is in-person discipleship. What is discipleship? Let's just clarify that term. It's following Christ by the power of his spirit through his word. And he's wanting to help, uh, help them follow Christ. I love that. And I think by kind of realizing that, it starts to kind of, as we move into it, help us realize why his preference is in person. Because these things, the contents of this letter is not merely taught. It needs to be caught. Paul wants to show up in person to show you how to do it. Those of us who surf, or raise your hand when you surf. When you started surfing, was it helpful when someone just told you how to surf or they went out with you? They go out with you. So when I teach surfing, I paddle out with them. I don't just sit on the beach and say, stand up, bro. When the wave comes, just get up. Go. Have fun. Oh, yeah, and watch out for the wreath and watch out for the sharks. Hey, you know how to swim? Okay, I swim. Okay, go. Like, it's not enough just to give verbal instruction. You want to show up in person. And so this first observation, I do believe why, one of the reasons why Paul's so fired up, so felt like he needs to get there in person, is because he understands that what he's trying to teach them, it's better caught and taught. And so he says, I got to get to you. I want to be there with you. One more thing before we move on on this. If you want to be a person that hopes to come and see other believers, if you want to be a person that gets excited to come to church, how, let's put it like those terms. I dare you to do this. Two minutes ETA on your way to church. Two minutes on your way to church. Start praying for the people at the church. Just try that. The reason why I get that insight is because in Romans 1, verse 10, it says this. Always, this is Paul, always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed to come into you. You hear that? Do you see the emojis? He's like, I'm always praying, and I want to come and see you, like big emoji eyes. Like, you know, he, and he's excited. And then he says in verse 11, I long to see you. Like, whatever, if there's an emoji for longing, like really want it. Like, I long to see you. To impart to you a spiritual gift that we'd be mutually encouraged. You know how he gets that heart? Verse 10, I'm always praying for you. Some of you get text messages from me throughout the week. I'm praying for you. And I'll ask questions. How can I pray right now? For some reason, you're in my heart. You know what transcribes from that? Um, you know what comes from that? My intercession for you is an intentional interaction. Like when I get here and I see you, it's not fabricated. Irene, what's up? That's not pretend. It just happens. Why? Because that's how the Spirit of God works in us. If you want to have this, you want to get excited to come to church, I dare you, two minutes ETA, some of you live across the street, so when you get into your elevator door, two minutes ETA, however long that is, start to think of who you're going to bump into at church, pray for them. I dare you to do that and see what happens. Pray and say, how can I encourage them? Anyway, I want to be one of the top five people in your life that pray for you. That's my goal. Now Paul says, I'm writing these things to you. So that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of truth. Really quick pause. 
Am I the only one warm? Because we can crank these. In. You know what? I ain't asking. I'm getting this. I'm like, I'm on fire. You know, I, I mean, I would like to credit it to the preaching, but I think it's my, <laughs> my figure. Um, all right. Paul's saying, I'm writing these things to you so that. Now, he's giving the reason, all right? If I delay, I love that. So he's writing a text, a text message just in case. Like, if I can't get there. Notice, meaning, he's not writing a text message and saying that suffice. Like, he's not writing and saying, well, I'm already sending them a text. No need, go. Do you see that? He's going to send them mail and still plan, I'm still coming. That's big to me. That tells me he's putting a lot of effort, a lot of perseverance. It's telling me whatever he's trying to get to them is a top priority. What is that? That they would know how they should behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of truth. Here's the point, and then we'll unpack it. Paul's now, I want us to see Paul's priority. That's a big word. Paul's priority, meaning it's a first of first importance. That's why he's making all this effort to write and then physically get there toward. Now, this is going to sound long. Don't get lost in this point. Toward discipleship. So we qualified that term. Following Jesus by the Spirit through his word, right? Students, learners of Jesus. Towards discipleship. Now, here's the specificity in the doctrine or the teaching, the instruction of the local church. This is top priority. I need you to know your ecclesiology. Or, yeah, ecclesiology. I need you to know what it means to be a church. This is so critical, church, especially Ephesian church, who's all over the place. You're drifting because you don't even know who you are. You're having an identity crisis. Your teachers have been teaching you all kind of junk stuff. You call yourself a Christian, but you don't even know what the gospel is. You're a church member, and you've been, at a, you've been a church member for years, but you don't even know the basics of the faith. That's why he's saying Paul's priority towards discipleship in the doctrine or the teaching of what is the local church. How are we to behave in the... Now, he, now these are big terms because he's giving us clues of how I think what Paul's trying to do is elevate our view of what church is. Because if I were to ask you, and when we started First Timothy, I asked you, if I said, what is church, what would you say? Like, what is church to you? What is your view of church? Do you have a low view, medium view, kind of a high view? Paul's trying to take our view through the roof through this letter. First, it's a household. Who lives in a house? A family. First and foremost, and we've been seeing that through the letter, from elders to deacons to members, men and women, boys and girls. This is a family. We're a family here tonight. We love, talk, and, and interact with each other like family. And not merely in the whole warm, fuzzy, sentimental. We step on each other's toes. We get in each other's business. We're a part of each other's drama. That's church. And this church needs to know how to do it. That's why what's the big qualifications of leaders? They got to be what kind of people? Family men. Right? So he's trying to lift our, elevate our view of local church through the roof. The household of God. Now, growing up, when I used to grow up playing, I used to go over all to my friends' houses. And sometimes, you know, when you get invited over to, like, 
unpopular kid's house. You're like, oh, I went to so-and-so's house. You get excited. That, that house. Household of God. Holy moly. That's the church. Household of God. Church of the living God. You know, I'll go farther. The blood-bought bride of Christ is the church. Acts 20, he paid for you and I in, in blood, with his blood. He, he calls us not only his body, but his bride. When you think of the church, what do you think of? So this is top priority. He wants the church to know who they are and how to function. This is why Paul is putting such effort to show up because he knows this is that big of a deal. It's a big deal, man. And I'm utilizing all the technology I got. <laughs> if I can't make it through, I'm going to text you. I'm going I'm to send you some mail. I love that. And then let's look at this. It says this. That they would know. Don't fly by these words. Because nowadays, a lot of church people, they just don't know. They're guessing what church is. You're guessing what Christianity is tonight. You may be spiritual, but you're confused about where you stand and land when it comes to Christ. Is that you? That's been me at a point in time in my life. But he's saying, no, that you may know. No guessing. How you ought to behave. How, one ought, how it's necessary to live and act as Christians. You guys brought this out in observation time. Now when it says household of God, the church of the living God, that's where we get this word ecclesia. That's where we get to study ecclesiology. But it, it's really cool, the word study. It's the called out people. The people who are, it's citizens called out of their homes and they come and they gather. They assemble. They congregate together as a people. It's a people that is called out of darkness and into light. You see that? That's the church. Paul's trying to elevate our view of church. And, he's, and I'm trying to show that I believe this, this man, this brother, this apostle believes this is top priority. That we know these things. Discipleship is such a top priority. If our people, if our church is weak in this. Weak in understanding the basic plain things, like who we are and what we believe, because we're about to get to the hymn, the confession of what we believe, what makes a church a church. But if we're weak on that, then what, we, what have we been studying on Sundays this past week about the whole foundation? If the foundation's weak, you know what we can expect? If we're a church that's made up of, of a bunch of members where only maybe the pastor and some of the leaders can define these basic things, and the rest of us just show up and we have a flimsy understanding of Christianity, you know what we can expect? This ain't going to last. What did it say in Luke? It'll come down with a tumbling great crash, a great fall. And so Paul is making this big push. I'm going to come through, and if I can't get there, I'm going to send you this letter. And then we get to the final verse. So we saw Paul's preference for in-person discipleship. Now we see Paul's priority towards discipleship and in specific, the local church. And then at the very end, we're going to see verse 16, this crazy creedal confession 
I'll read it all the way through and give the point, and we'll close. Great indeed we confess. Oh, I love that. Great indeed we, all of us, confess is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on the world, taken him in glory. Paul's passion, final point, for the local church to preach the gospel. So we see his preference for in-person discipleship. We see his priority for the church to know who they are. And now we're seeing his passion. I say passion because he starts with megas eimi, great indeed. You know what he's saying, local boy? Major. This is big. This is super big. Great indeed. It's important. It's weighty. It's massive. This is the big deal breaker. If you don't agree with the next verses that fly, you are not a Christian and you are not a part of the church. But if you do, you are. You're a part of the house of God. So listen up. If you've never heard the gospel in these ways, we're going to walk through it stanza by stanza. I love this great hymn. Great indeed. We confess. We agree. We affirm. We cooperate. Consent. Confess. Profess. Proclaim. Preach. Is the mystery of godliness. Mysterion. Eusebia, it's the hidden things, the secret things, the whole of holiness and the whole counsel, the great plan of salvation and redemption, the big mystery of this whole point of the book, the whole point of why we're here tonight. This is it. He, who's he? Christ was manifested in the flesh. This is the incarnation. This is the word becoming flesh, John 1. This is the great humiliation, Philippians 2. He emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant in human likeness. The pain you're feeling tonight, the wandering, the lostness that you've tasted this week, he came and associated with that. Great indeed we confess this, church, right? We worship a God who says, I get it. We worship a God who says, I've been there. We worship a God who says, I'm coming. And I'm coming again. I love this stuff. But he keeps going on. This is the mystery of godliness. This is the incarnation. Manifested in the flesh. Vindicated now. By the spirit. This is. It means to be declared righteous. This is speaking to the resurrection. Why? Because prior to the resurrection, there was all those false claims and accusations of who Jesus was. You remember that? He saves others. Can he save himself? Oh, build this temple in three days. Psh. Remember all that? All the mocking, all the scoffing. He was called a liar. He was called a lunatic. But then how was he vindicated by the power of the Spirit? He died and he rose again. He broke forth victoriously. Christ's resurrection and conquering the grave, it vindicates him. It overturns all the false claims that the world court judged him guilty. And the resurrection says, no, righteous. This is why we love Easter. But I don't need to wait one Sunday a year for that, right? We don't need to wait. Great indeed we confess every Sunday. He's vindicated by the Spirit. 
Do you confess that? Here's a question, though, as we keep working through this. Is it great indeed for you? Is it great indeed for us that we confess this? Because this is the foundation of our faith, church. Great indeed we confess. He's alive. He's righteous. And he's seen by angels. This, I believe, this is one of the viewpoints that I I just tend to lean towards. It's the ascension. In Acts 1, verse 10 to 11, it says, While they were gazing into heaven, he went, and behold, two men stood by them with robes. And he said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the heaven? These are angels. Jesus was taken up from you into heaven, will come in in the same way as he went into heaven. Whether it's that or through his life of ministry, Jesus was seen by angels. And I would agree with the sister who brought up this is alluding to he is divine. He was not only affirmed and seen by man, but angels. Great indeed, we confess this fact. This is truth. An audience of angels and men at the ascension going into heaven. Great indeed, we confess that. i got to believe that. Do you believe that? Do you believe he ascended and that he's coming again? Great indeed, we confess this. And then he moves on in this hymn, proclaimed among the nations. This is the great commission. Matthew 28, Jesus came, all authority has been given to me. Go, go. Remember the first point? I come, I'm coming to see you. This is the fire that's in Paul, what Gabe was saying in observation. They didn't need technology. I'm going to take it there myself. Go. Make disciples of all nations, all ethnicities, all races. That's why I love being in Hawaii, too. All nations come here. You want to touch the nations, just go outside. Chinese, Japanese, Filipino, Portuguese, Hawaiian, everybody, Samoan, everyone. Micronesia is all here. Great indeed, we confess. He's proclaimed. He's preached among the nations. And then believed on in the world. This is the redemption. The salvation. It's the harvest of his sovereign elect. It's the effectual call of the gospel. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes. Believes. You know what it says believed on in the world? We indeed confess that. Why? Because our faith is not a faith by works. It's a saving faith by faith alone. Faith, in great indeed, we confess this. Are we telling people, church? Great indeed. Don't forget this. And then he closes to say, taken up in glory. This is the glorification, the exaltation of Christ at the right hand of God. This is where Jesus is right now. He's right there right now. In all of his glory. Great indeed, this is the whole confession of faith. And the question is to close, is this great indeed for you and I? Like, do we share Paul's passion? So much so that we make discipleship a priority, that we prefer in person. Here's a question to take home tonight. Are you really a disciple? What makes you think you're a disciple of Christ? Are you making disciples? Just stuff to think on. And may I suggest, start tonight. I love this. 
I love that Paul put this in the heart of the book, in the middle of the book, because everything that he's been teaching, everything that we've been reading, and then everything that's going to flow to the second half of the book, this is kind of the heart. This is the center. It's the gospel, right in the middle. I do want to, as we, we're, we're shutting it down now, the plane is going to land. Um, but if you were, if you are tonight, in some sorts of a drift, in some sorts of a wander, in some sorts of a, you were here with the Lord and the height, the, the love you had there, you kind of fell from that, then this is a text tonight that is just, I hope it brings you back center. Great indeed. Just come back to the basics. Maybe we need milk tonight, and that's okay. Come back and remind yourself that whatever sins you're in right now, whatever funk you're in, this is why he came and manifested in the flesh. It's why he hung on the tree. And it's why the power of him, the resurrection, is so beautiful for us. Because we're saved not by our works, but by faith. And so, so, so my prayer is that all of us would be a people that know how to keep ourselves centered. Let me give you another practical thing. Practice preaching to yourself the gospel every single day. Regardless of how you feel. And I don't, I say preach on purpose. Don't just recite it. I want you to preach the gospel to your soul. That you're not here on account of your performance. You're not here this morning with another breath in your lung, another opportunity of the day because you did really good yesterday. God doesn't love you any more or less because of how awesome you witnessed last week or didn't witness. It's all because of Christ and who he is. Preach to yourself the gospel every single day. We're going to pray. We're going to close in song. And I ask that by the power of God's spirit, great indeed we would confess. Let's close. God, we have such a good gospel and it's only our sinful hearts that tame it. We confess, God, that we lack the zeal Paul had to want to be a person that would come through. I pray that you would stir and create within our hearts fellowship here in this church that we would want to come through and see one another, to encourage one another and strengthen each other along this journey. Everyone here needs some encouragement in some way, shape, or form tonight. So I pray that all of us would come through for each other. I pray that understanding church membership and, and what it is to be a family and how we are to function would become a top priority, especially for our church as we're in, the, in this season of, of restructuring our bylaws and how we're to, what we're all going to come to agree on, even our, our um, church covenant, God, that we are all going to confess to agree on, dial us all in. And Lord Jesus, please give us a passion to be a church that really does confess and profess and preach the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we sing, let us as a church know we stand on solid ground. And soon and very soon, as you have ascended, you're coming again. Oh, the Spirit and the Bride say, come, Lord Jesus, come. We need you tonight. Keep us now. Take us there. In Jesus' name. Amen. Join me in standing as we sing.
Amen. It says in 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 17, it goes like this. This is what Paul is writing to Timothy to the point that was made tonight. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithfully, faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal ages. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. you are always with us to the ends of the earth. May God bless you, keep you as you go forth. Keep his word in your heart. Amen. Go in his peace.